Live from the NixCast Phanthropological Institute, please turn your cell phones to silent and no talking. Because this week, we're talking about cinephiles. everybody and welcome back to the podcast that brings the fans eye view to you it's fanthropological my name is nick g this week we're here to talk cinephiles and here with me to do that are my two best friends nick t i am an auteur and nick z i am a, a movie goer perhaps and also joining us this week first return guest to the program <laughs> uh, noted <laughs> epic film guy and the man with the longest rider in the podcast business epic film guy nick I'm what they would call a snob when it comes to cinema. (laughs) (laughs) It's a thrill to be back, guys. It's absolutely a pleasure to be back. Uh, I can't think of anybody more appropriate to talk about cinephiles than than you, Epic Film Guy Nick. Ooh, boy. Mm -hmm. Did I set the bar too high? Yeah, way too high. Okay. Should we have asked Justin instead? (laughs) (laughs) Not if you don't want him to bring on his hobo slash hipster character and start <laughs> talking about, you know, copulating with hams and stuff. It's a terrible... That, that sounds like a bunch Our of... Our show's just a mess these days. <laughs> <sighs> well, speaking of ham, <laughs> I can actually tie this up. Speaking of ham, uh, let's talk about last week's famous last words. Z mm-hmm. had asked... And this is a stretch, but I've, I've got it anyway. Z had asked, <laughs> is there a movie marathon cited as a cinephile's paradise where people are encouraged to bring in multiple course meals? This is what Z asked. Yes. There was something about Wagnerian operas and stuff. I couldn't write it all down, but that's what he asked. <laughs> yeah, it, it was inspired by uh, a practice that's been documented a few times of people who go see uh, Wagner's Ring Cycle. And because it's such a long opera, I think the total running time is something like nine hours. People will bring in full multi-course meals with them into the theater. You know, like boiled lobster, crab bisque, all sorts of the fanciest of the most seafoody meals possible. No, no, like sandwiches or anything no. that might be... Okay. No, sandwiches are below... Not to the opera. Ro- Have some surely. class here. <laughs> Unless they're cucumber sandwiches, got, crusts m- removed. And sliced diagonally. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> the floor is just full of crust in these office. <laughs> well, I mean, gotta have somebody, something for the, the person with the push broom to do, you know? Get in there. Between acts, clean up the floor. Anyway, we're getting, getting way off topic here. Way off topic. Um, the quick answer is no. No, there is no such uh, film slash food festival. But... In my researches, I did find that there seems to be a, uh, a small mm, subculture, perhaps, of cinephiles who uh, enjoy what are called food film festivals, where movies about food are shown, usually documentaries, and the uh, food featured in the movies is served while you're watching those movies. So, um, if you, Sounds of the lambs. Yeah, yeah, you can have a nice rack of lamb while you're watching that movie. Uh, uh. <laughs> I, I imagine uh, it's more along the lines of that documentary about the sushi chef, like uh, mm-hmm. his his search for happiness or whatever. Anyway, 
But, uh, you know, and then you'd be eating sushi while you're watching this documentary about the sushi chef. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, I was hoping you'd be eating happiness, but. <laughs> well, well, happiness is not so a sushi the catch. thing there is. <laughs> oh, man. The closest thing I found to a positive answer for my question is the uh, the Real Food Films, which is an organization that allows you to set up your own film fest, which technically you could bring your own food to because you're setting it up. Uh, so, yeah. Our favorite words, technically. Yes. <laughs> technically, this is a podcast. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Technically, uh, I'm a cinephile. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my goodness. G. Yes. Your question was, is it important for cinephiles to see movies in the theater? I don't know if we want to talk about that now or come back to it later. Let's save it. Okay. My question is equally loaded, so I'm not even going to mention it until we get to the why. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, right. It, it's, it's, it's a big, obnoxious question. Yeah. I think it belongs right at the beginning of the why. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this week, when we did Fandom Facts... It was a little bit different than normal because cinephiles are like a huge, ambiguous kind of thing. I could talk a little bit about the history of uh, cinema. Actually, I couldn't because I didn't do that research. Uh, But I did get some interesting demographics about moviegoers, at least in North America. And that should hopefully get us started off just to paint a picture. So I found out that in Canada alone, there are 20.3 million moviegoers. Uh, Epic Film Guy Nick, for you, that's about 15 million U.S. moviegoers. With the exchange rate. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> uh, but actually, that's about two-thirds of Canada's population. Uh, and the average moviegoer sees about 5.1 movies in a year. More interesting to us is that the most adamant group of moviegoers, uh, which is about 25% of people who see movies, see 10 or more movies in a year. So those are our heavy moviegoers. Oof. In terms of demographics, uh, the split isn't too surprising. For general moviegoers, it's equally split between men and women. Um, compared to non-moviegoers, they're, like people who watch movies are more likely to use social media, more likely to watch streaming TV, more likely to play video games, and less likely to read a print newspaper. Interesting. Um, moviegoers are more likely to be under the age of 44. For general moviegoers, there's pretty even stats between like 13 to 27 and 27 to something and 35 to 44 or whatever. But when you get into heavy moviegoers, there's a huge amount of interest from people who are ages 25 to 34. Hmm. Like 80% more than the average person. Hmm. I don't know why that is. And I've aged out. Jeez, I gotta retire. (laughs) (laughs) You're just, uh, you're helping to, to bring things to the next generation. That's, yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Carrying the torch. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I, f- I found was a reason why people do not see movies. And the biggest reasons for that tends to be cost across pretty much every demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, also, light moviegoers prefer watching movies at home, which is why they often don't go. Uh, or they don't see movies that they want to see in theaters. Heavy moviegoers just see movies as often as they like generally i don't know why that is i also found out that why moviegoers go to the theater uh is not typically 
availability of food as uh, I was hoping that might tie into Z's question Wouldn't that be something or availability of alcoholic beverages which I thought might tie into epic film guy next podcast but you know didn't get there yet <laughs> um, apparently the biggest factor were things like seating showtime theater quality and sometimes convenience of location and parking there are a lot of other stats that I got I'm just going to quickly go through a few more in terms of changes in fandom despite what everybody has to say Global box office size has been up 5% in 2015, hmm. 18% since 2011. So movies keep getting more popular despite what other people have to say. Well, it's like whatever is like the best selling movie of all time is like whatever came out in the last year usually. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. With that, I think it probably makes sense to jump straight into the why. Why? And I'm going to take my opportunity to ask my obnoxious question from last week. I can't wait. Which is, uh, and I was already eating my words last week, so here it goes again. Uh, are cinephiles really a fandom? Isn't that just a pretentious title for people who watch movies? Where's the culture? The shared experience and unique terminology. I'll uh, shut up now and uh, uh, eat my words. <laughs> wow. I don't know. I think I'd, I'd say yes, but... Like cinephiles, I think there's a lot of people that would classify themselves as cinephiles that probably aren't. Like, mm -hmm. when I go to the movies, I go to the movies and I love to analyze a film. I love to kind of break down a film as I'm watching it, which, I mean, in some people's eyes, that ruins the movie for them a little bit. But mm -hmm. I don't think that there are as many people like me that go to the movies that often. And, I mean, I think there are people that go to the movies more often than I do, but just because they like going to the movies. When I think cinephile, I think more along the lines of somebody who really just kind of breaks down everything about a film. You know, they really dive into the the kind of nitty gritty of it, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. They get a little yeah. bit more, I think, more analytical. Not necessarily film critics, but just, I don't know. I got, Film got ruined for me when I went through college because I studied a lot of it. <laughs> And, you know, from there forward, you can't ever watch a movie the same way again. Just It just broke apart into tiny pieces. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the magic was gone. Basically, the crux of, of what I found is, is uh, film as literature. Mm -hmm. Film as yeah. literature. What do you mean? Like, you know, literature, a great, the great ac academic pastime of poring over and criticizing and, and looking for meaning in, mm -hmm. in fiction or not fiction books. You know, the same can be, can be applied to film. Yep. I have actually quite a good quote here I pulled from the Wikipedia entry on cinephilia. Ooh, we're really digging deep today. Yeah, <laughs> all the way all the way over to Wikipedia. Cinephilia is a culture of the discarded that prefers to find intellectual coherence where none is evident and to eulogize the non-standard and the minor. Those just seem like a whole Oof. bunch of nonsense words somebody put into <laughs> one sentence. But what does it mean? It means everything and nothing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Boy, oh boy, it sounds like something a pretentious cinephile would say. Right? <laughs> Along similar lines, actually, um, I came across this article called Has Hollywood Murdered the Movies? By, by David Denby. It's from 2012, so a little dated, but nonetheless. In it, he very simply sums up cinephiles as the solitary and obsessed. Hmm. Guys, Epic Film Guy Nick is right here. Why, I know. why, why are you so mean? <laughs> Man. Yeah. You know. I thought that's what, I thought that's what this, uh, this show was. I thought we were taking it in a new direction. 
It's like Tolkien and his deplorable cultus. <laughs> that was a great quote. Evidently, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tolkien, not a fan of Lord of the Rings fans. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god, wow. Yeah, so do you agree or, or disagree, uh, epic film guy Nick? I wouldn't say that. No, no, I, I don't agree because for as many... For, for as many films as there are out there that are literally just shoved out of the box office just to try to turn a quick buck, there are as many really, really passionate artists that are working behind the scenes for, I mean, you, you name it, directors, writers, mm-hmm. actors, producers, and, you know, even down to the people that run the technical stuff, you know, camera operators, you know, the grip. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of passionate people that are involved in that really believe in like the artistry of of what they're doing. And I mean, you can look at films like it, it. Sometimes it's it's hard to get crossovers in this in this aspect. But when you look at a film, say like Mad Max Fury Road, which was a summer blockbuster, but it also it, it really kind of has a deeper level to it. It, mm-hmm. it really has kind of artistry to it. When I watched that movie, I thought of it as kind of like a moving work of art like literally the entire time just because every shot is staged so painstakingly to say something more than just you know uh, there's a car driving across the desert well if i mean if you just kind of look at it like just the color it's like drenched in this orangish color when they're doing the big car battles and whatnot and it just that orange color just it's so warm and it's so it's so energizing it just kind of helps to pump you up and, and invest you in it even deeper so no i don't i don't i don't think that's true at all i think no matter what the industry is i mean you think about it, well we mentioned literature but i mean what's the opposite of literature like you know just kind of pulpy trashy pulp romance fiction. novels <laughs> yeah you know yeah where there's always going to be two sides to that coin where mm-hmm. there are just people in it that are just literally churning out whatever garbage <laughs> they can to try to turn a buck and is hollywood full of that kind of stuff yeah but so is it, so is any artistic kind of industry as a whole, I would say, to some degree anyway. Yeah, I mean, especially now you can always dig deeper. Like in music, you're obviously not limited to what's on the radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I found interesting when I was pouring over all this, this data. It was really interesting because they had a specific section for heavy moviegoers to mm-hmm. talk about some of the trends in there. And they they talked about things that there was a lot of agreement in that group about. So like heavy moviegoers on the whole enjoy watching movie in the theater versus at home. Spoiler, I just answered G's question. (laughs) Um, They generally thought that movies at the theater were higher quality than straight to video or on demand. But one of the things that there was not a lot of agreement on was whether independent movies were better than, um, I can't remember the terminology they used, but just like, mainstream probably yeah um and whether or not they were concerned with awards buzz so maybe that's Mm -hmm. kind of a difference between people who watch a lot of movies and cinephiles but in general when we talk about fandom people who watch a lot consume a lot do a lot of stuff those are are the fans of the things so i was trying to figure out the difference between people who are heavy moviegoers and cinephiles Mm -hmm. because when uh when you were talking about you know, the, the color and things like that, that to me s- speaks more to a, a critical perspective or to a, like a filmmaker's perspective. Yeah. It's like a passive versus active argument. Mm-hmm. Like the way that you 
like describe that just that shot in Mad Max the idea of of experiencing a, an entire movie that way sounds exhausting <laughs> it, it like I, t- I totally I totally understand well there's there's also like a, a, a difference too between you've probably heard the phrase associated with film and other media of turn your brain off mm-hmm. you know and, and just kind of go into the theater and just sit down and have a good time like think of the Fast and Furious movies <laughs> nobody anywhere would tell you that they're like great wonderful amazing pieces of art that should be you know held in a time capsule for all of eternity and shown to future whatever nobody would say that but you know they have their group of fans that people that just want to go to the theater and just see this literally insane action like cars driving across the top of a frozen friggin lake and it's a (laughs) submarine chasing but there's people that they that's what they want they Mm -hmm. just want loud visual noise and i would classify you know they're probably in terms of what you were saying the heavy movie goers that aren't necessarily cinephiles i would see like i said i think of a cinephile i think of somebody that's more like me that's far more into the analytical side of it where they want to break down every shot and they want to analyze all the complexities of the themes going on in the film and then we get chastised by the other set of moviegoers who are just like dude just go have fun and you know Can't you just enjoy a movie yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah that's kind of the the dichotomy of it so <laughs> all right so as as an example when you're when you're watching a movie you're i guess subconsciously breaking it, it down you're looking at it from that analytical perspective but at the same time is there like a, a search for meaning in terms of the scenes or is it purely a technical exercise what I look for, and I guess the most recent film I saw was Wonder Woman, so I guess that's probably like the best example. I have this idea in my head, and it's, you know, everybody's got their own idea in their head of what makes a great movie, mm-hmm. you know? So when I'm watching it, I'm looking for, you know, does everything look good in terms of the way that the shots were staged? Are the shots really, really well done? Are the performances wooden or do the performances feel a little bit more realistic? Am I kind of living in this character's shoes or am I really aware of the fact that they're acting in a film? Things of that nature where yeah, it's not all technical. Like I'm not just breaking down like, oh, geez, they really should have whatever. <laughs> you could get into like a thousand different little minutia there. But I, I think for me, it's more of. I have an idea in my head of this makes the perfect movie. Well, like for superhero films, it's a very simple one. Like I love the hero's journey. I love seeing those kind of stories, but I'm the kind of person that thinks that a, a great hero's journey is made by a great villain as well. Like you need to have an effective villain to effectively challenge the hero to make them a hero in your eyes on the screen. And so I'm very critical of films like Marvel films because I don't feel that they do that. I feel that their villains are basically wallpaper (laughs) and they kind of run through them and, you know, they're a joke. But that's because that's what I get. But there's a lot of people that just they don't just don't care about that, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Yeah, everyone's watching the same movie, but they're not interested or they don't care. They just want to see Thor swing a hammer or whatever. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I want to see the one liners. I want to hear them. (laughs) I want to feel them. <laughs> I want to feel them in my bones. Do you still get like wrapped up in movies, like lost in movies? Oh my god, yeah. Like captivated. Yeah, all the time. Good. Not lately, just because <laughs> yeah. the summer has been pretty lean so far, and 
the spring that led into it wasn't any worse. But like back during award season, it, it was funny that you mentioned that statistic of heavy moviegoers go 10 or more times a year. I had already been to the movies more than 10 times by the end of February. <laughs> I'm like, really? Wow. I wish they'd broke down the demographics more because there's probably Ooh. a hyper There's heavy moviegoers and then there's epic film guys. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> And the thing about it, like, I don't go to the movies nearly as often as my co-host does. He goes to the movies, like, twice or three times as often because he lives in a much, much better area for it where mm-hmm. he's got the opportunity to go to free screenings and things like that. Oh, wow. I live in kind of a small market, so I don't really have those opportunities. I mean, I seize them when I get them, but I can't make it to the movies all the time. But he will go literally twice a week sometimes. Like, sometimes I'll I'll probably go on a good month if there's a lot of stuff coming out that I want to see. And whatever, but maybe like, I don't know, say tops like five or six times a month, you know, but Justin, you're talking 10 times probably. Wowzers. But that's just where we live. That's what we love. Mm -hmm. It's just being in a theater is just, there's nothing else in the world like it. Like, that's why there's a lot of debate now about now that we have the technology to do streaming, there's a service called Screening Room that wants to just bring movies into your home. You pay x amount of dollars and you can watch the film in your home the same day it's released in theaters and oh like wow yeah yeah i mean there's there's talk about it but there's a lot of people in hollywood that are pushing back against it because they're like no we make films to be presented in the theater but it, i'm torn between the two because i love the theatrical experience so so much but at the same time i live in a small market where i don't get indie films which i also love to watch mm. because they just don't come out in markets this small and when they do, it's ages after the fact, or they come to the art house theater that's downtown in Binghamton, which is essentially like watching a film in like a lean to, <laughs> you know, it's like a little mud hut. Basically, it's just so terrible of quality, but people around here just don't care about movies enough to invest in something that's good. You know, I don't think there's any way to stop that being a thing. Like, no, there's that's, not. That, that's going to happen. Yeah. And the people who go to the movies it's probably what's probably en- going to end up happening is a, is the theater is going to cater more to those people who really like the experience and you might get more like like the the vip cineplex or like the alamo draft house or something like that i'd kill for an alamo draft house around here <laughs> <laughs> that was uh not alamo draft house but that was an interesting thing that i came across too that um I somehow, when I was doing research on cinephiles, I ended up finding a lot of information on TV fans. I don't know why mm-hmm. that is. There was a lot of comparisons about, you know, TV is the future of, of the visual medium and things like that. Oh, my goodness. I'm <laughs> trying not to, to dwell on that. But uh, what it came back to for movies, why movies were the big factor instead of something like TV, was actually, I think, kind of what you'd, you'd mentioned, that it's about seeing things on the big screen. Because when you're on the big screen, there's just that slightly larger sense of immersion mm-hmm. and when you have that yeah. slightly more immersive environment you can get more into the story when somebody smiles on screen you feel a little bit happier but when you watch that on a tiny tv you're distracted by all the other things that are going on it's kind of an immersion factor as well like when you're in a theater that's especially opening nights like i love opening nights for movies because you're in there with the people that want to see it yeah. the most you know, so you're kind of feeding off of their energy and they're kind of feeding off of yours. Now, can that maybe skew your perspective a little bit on the film overall? Maybe. I wouldn't deny it. But, like, I'll also say, like, I, I tell this story 
all the time, but the greatest cinema going experience I've ever had in my life was snakes on a plane <laughs> because you nice. go to see snakes on a plane. You know exactly what kind of movie you're going to see. There were people hissing. Everybody brought rubber <laughs> snakes and was throwing them around the theater. It was hilarious. Like it just the movie's garbage, but it just made it such an amazing experience. Like I love it. I'll cherish that forever. <laughs> I, I remember going to see snakes on a plane. Yeah, uh, it was in Port Elgin, I believe. I went to see it, uh, and then the title came up on the screen, and I'm like, "It's really happening! <laughs> I'm really here." Because the internet was talking about it for like a year beforehand. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those big cases, like of the internet insanely hyping a film. <laughs> yeah. So you say, in your ideal situation, you go see a movie. Would you rather the theater be empty or full? Oh, depends on the film. Mm. if i'm going to see a drama I mean, it's it's only because of the habits of theater audiences because mm-hmm. if you go to most theaters now that's why i mentioned the elmo draft house because they don't tolerate people's crap like if you're on your phone or if you talk they will throw you right out oh, which wow. i love mm-hmm. that's like my ideal cinema experience but i don't have that here so it, it all depends just based on the way the audience is going to behave if i'm going to go see something that's kind of like a drama like something that i'm really going to want to focus in on I'd rather it be my, I'd rather it just be me. I just don't care. Hmm. You know, I want to be focused on what's on that screen. If I'm ever going to see something like a comedy or an action movie or something like that, like I mentioned, you're kind of feeding off the energy of everybody else. And if it's a comedy and there's a funny scene and a bunch of other people laugh and it kind of lightens you up and makes you feel better. And before you know it, everybody's laughing at everything, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, yeah, it depends on the type of film for me, I, but there's all these, those movies I mean, literally, I could see a movie, full theater, empty theater, by myself with a huge group of people. It doesn't matter to me, but yeah. I, when I really want to hone in, I kind of want to eliminate as many distractions as possible. Mm-hmm. One thing that came up, first of all, on the WikiHow article on how to be a cinephile, mm-hmm. ooh, but also in a few other places, was like a suggestion for cinephiles is often like getting into it, is watch movies you wouldn't normally watch. And that that seemed like an important part of it. I just I watch everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I just I there's genres I prefer over other genres, but I mean, I've I've gone to the theater to watch movies that are completely outside of my normal realm of interest, and sometimes I'm let down, sometimes I'm surprised, and I really like it. You know, mm-hmm. it is what it is. But yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, you got to step outside of your comfort zone. You have to be if if you're going to be a cinephile, you have to be somebody that's really kind of in love with the entire medium. Mm-hmm. And you can watch any aspect of it, that at least at least to me. But then again, I like I said, I I I do have my genres that I prefer, and those that I'm just like, nah, I don't care. <laughs> I don't know. I've uh, I've watched some movies in my day on some of these party twenty lists, but I've definitely over the past year or so been like, I don't know if I want to go see that movie. It looks like it's just going to be really sad. <laughs> Which, but. That we all, we all know all the best movies are sad. Oh, sure. But. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, like, that was one of the things that I was reminded of in the research. I often go to see whatever movies I just feel like going to see. And sometimes that means seeing a sad movie. But that's actually really great about going to the theater because when I, when I go to watch a movie, I actually feel things. I don't mean I'm a robot. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there are often certain emotions that just don't get tapped into very often. I feel a general melancholy a lot of the time, like a, a depression, but not like where I'm out and out bawling my eyes out. I remember going to see Inside Out and like just weeping at moments 
Because I was yeah. touched. Bing bong. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Film moves me. Like, I literally, I, I run the range of emotions when I sit down to watch a movie. I really do. If there's if there's something sad, I'll cry. If there's something funny, I'll laugh. If there's something that just kind of, like, really tense, like, I, I will feel myself just kind of inching up in my seat and just kind of, like, my arms tense up on the armrest, and I'm just, like, my eyes get a little bit wider as I'm looking at the screen. Like, I really, I get really emotionally invested in films, and I think that's why I love them so much because, granted, not that I haven't watched TV shows that do that as well, but for me, film just does that for me like it just pulls me in but conversely there's also like i watched i did a guest spot on the netflix and soul podcast and they do a segment where they pick a word out of a dictionary and then they pick a random movie off of netflix based on that word (laughs) and so i picked out this crime drama that was on there and it got nominated for the grand jury prize at at, uh, sundance and it won best cinematography at sundance and i was Mm. like yeah this might be pretty good i watched it it was the most boring (laughs) pile of garbage oh it was dreadful it was dreadful and it's like that's i i'm kind of i hesitate to say extreme but i i'll i'll say it anyway you know it's it's like i run kind of an extreme range like if i'm turned off by a movie or if i'm upset with a movie or not into a movie i will get like hard like angry disappointed like annoyed like if you guys have listened to my show you know that i rant a lot and yell and get mad (laughs) about stuff so i mean yeah like but i get so invested in movies and i just i even if i watch and like i said it has not been a good couple of months for me movie wise i have not not really had a great great movie experience in a few months now but i just i still love being in the theater even if it's a bad experience I'm still happier for it, happier than if I had waited until later in its theatrical run to see it, or even further, like when it comes out on VOD, on Blue, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Are you the guy in the theater that's like, you know, the the hero, the protagonist or whatever is like, I don't know, you're just like acting things out in the theater, arms are up in the air, like, yeah, but like silently no. because no? All right. <laughs> no. I, am, I totally I don't am... know what that's like. Aside from laughter, because I'll, obviously if it's a comedy film, I'll laugh. Aside from that, I am dead silent in the theater. I, like, literally, I have never... I talk a lot, okay? But in the theater, unless, like I said, it's a comedy and I'm laughing, I am, like, stone-cold silent. I do not make a sound. And it drives me insane when other people make sounds. So my wife had this happen when we went and saw Wonder Woman because there was a guy that was sitting next to her that... Like, I mean, there's some funny scenes in the film and whatnot, but literally every two minutes or so, he would just not chuckle, but like, like a full on belly laugh, like, ha 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 ha. And it was like, nothing funny had even happened <laughs> in the movie. And like, she would come out in these different costumes and he was like cat calling at the screen and like, woohoo, yeah, F yeah. Oh, like so excited about like the action scenes like that. It, you're way too invested, dude. Just chill. <laughs> but that's because like I mean, it's not that i don't feel those emotions it's not that like when i see like for the first time like in in that movie wonder woman crawls up out of the trench and is going to you know charge across no man's land and whatever and, like i feel it like i feel energized by the scene because it's all 
built up to this, but I'm not like jumping out of my seat like, go kick their asses, Wonder Woman. Yeah, like, oh my God. That drives me nuts because I want to respect the other people that are in the theater. And that's something that can totally ruin somebody else's movie going experience because I know what it's like to be interrupted when I'm watching a movie and I hate it and I would never do that to somebody else. Are you a popcorn guy? Sometimes. Mm-hmm. It more depends on if, if have I eaten before I go to the theater? Am I hungry? Do I want a snack? We usually always get a bottle of water just to have, you know, some water to drink or whatever. On occasion, if I feel like, you know, drinking 50 pounds of sugar, I'll get like an icy <laughs> or something. Once, once in a while, popcorn. But I, I'm, I'm just as happy sitting without any snacks as I am with, you know, a whole buffet surrounding me of snacks. <laughs> One of the few times I didn't get popcorn is when I went to see Apollo 13 and I had a really big Tootsie Roll. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought that movie was okay, and I also thought the Tootsie Roll was just okay. So maybe... Tootsie Rolls are great. That influenced my opinion of the movie a little much. Probably. Maybe I didn't care enough about it because I was like, I don't know, what, 10? Those Tootsie Rolls, nah, I'm not into this Tootsie Roll. So then you were just kind of depressed and you're like, well, all right, fine. It was a lot of Tootsie Roll. (laughs) It's like a foot long. I'm not doing that again. I imagine it was probably the age kind of thing, because I remember going to the drive-in, and there'd be some movie that, as a kid, I wanted to see, like, I don't know, Armageddon, and then some other movie that I didn't want to see, like The Horse Whisperer. <laughs> I can't miss Double Bill. I, the, the drive-in had just two movies, and they didn't yep. have to be related whatsoever. They were just two movies. Yes. Sometimes that can be really rewarding, but then, <laughs> yeah, other times you get Armageddon and The Horse Whisperer. <laughs> Like, can you just put Armageddon on again? Like, <laughs> Don't want to close my eyes. <laughs> ben Affleck moving little, you know, graham cracker animals over Liv Tyler's stomach. Yeah. I am a death. See, I know you're a popcorn Absolutely. Guy. Absolutely. Is it, like, habitual for you? Like, you have to get it every time? Yeah. I would definitely oh, okay. admit that it is mostly habitual. It's It's part of the ritual for me. That or just a cup of coffee. Yep. What? What? Which is like the the one time out of ten that I don't get popcorn. When when you when you go to a morning <laughs> screening. Well, I mean, like when I went to see Get Out, I didn't want to have popcorn, like because I I had supper maybe like an hour beforehand. Um, but you know, you gotta ha- gotta have something when you go in to see that movie. That's mm. not true. It's totally true. <laughs> Coffee so, for a a. I grabbed like, a cup. Scary movie seems like a bad idea. It worked out all right. Well, I'm glad that no one was was seriously maimed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I am definitely pro popcorn. I will eat popcorn even if I've eaten a meal. I will gorge myself on the stuff. <laughs> I know people that go to the theater, like if if they're gonna watch a movie at home, they'll stop at the movie theater and buy a bucket of popcorn and take it home. <laughs> There's, Just because wow. they love movie theater popcorn so much. There are much. cheaper ways to get popcorn. There are yeah. way cheaper ways to get popcorn. But it's just like... Almost every way. They love how... and I mean, there's no better way to say it, but just how artificial it is. It's all... Because it's sitting in that big <laughs> vat for like hours, just yep. getting heat applied to it, and then you take it out and just dump like oil all over it. <laughs> That's all got to be Pavlovian, right? For it's sure. got to be. For like, sure. you know, the big drink, the popcorn... <laughs> I mean, sure, I can make popcorn at home, but I can't drench it in whatever butter substitute this is. Make sure they don't ever do that. Flavacol? I don't know. There's a special oil that they use. Yeah, I don't don't know what it is. Special is the right word for it. 
All right, I'm going to ask the hard questions now, which is Ooh, obviously a, a cue for not hard questions. I don't know why you like my popcorn question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how much of being a cinephile uh, is just that secret badge that you can kind of flash to other people, that, that being in the know with other fans, that element of eliteness or exclusivity? How important is that? To me, I would say... I, well, I, I, 70 30, we'll call it 70 30. Like, I love being in the company of other people who watch film in that same analytical way that I do because then we can have like that kind of in depth discussion about it. Like, I, when I go to the theater, and I used to go to the theater with one of my friends all the time who is very much just the loud visual noise guy. Like, he doesn't care as long as it looks pretty and it's fun, mm-hmm. you know? So when we would get out of the theater, like, I kind of have to attune myself to the conversation like, oh, didn't this scene kick ass? <laughs> yeah, it did. It kicked ass. You know, that's kind of all you have to do. But then I like more the conversation of, oh, did you catch this? And oh, this was totally meant to be a metaphor for this. And this, I love those kind of conversations. So for me, I mean, I, well, I am a snob. I won't say I'm not a movie <laughs> snob because I will purposely avoid some things just because I'm like, no, no. No, but then I'll hate watch things too, so it doesn't make any sense. But, <laughs> that, you know, that to me definitely sounds like the sounds of a, a cinephile. It's right? like, I will hate watch something. Well, we've been on here for 45 minutes talking about movies. You definitely know which side of the line I'm on. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I think everything out of my clear. mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Let's talk about the color in Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> I kind of like them all. <laughs> Red, orange, uh couple other ones in there i thought for sure you were talking about movies i haven't seen fury road yet oh what i'm sorry sorry. i'll just you know just cut to that tisk tisking from epic film guy nick and played over the rest of your audio (laughs) (laughs) just disappointment just like keep dropping (laughs) the pitch on it so it just gets deeper (laughs) (laughs) to a booming echo of disappointment <laughs> until by the end of the episode it's just drowning everything out like <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. the shame the shame i mean well, right right now we're using like your podcast as kind of like a, a reference to different things but immediately when uh when one of you was talking about shame i thought of jurassic parks ah, 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 you didn't say the magic words <laughs> with wayne knight and that just reminded me like that's that's the other thing about movies and probably cinephiles they have a shared they there's a shared language like literally a language of film like mise-en-scene and and things like that but there's also all these literary or not literary like media references that help you to tell stories or to relate experiences that you wouldn't have if you didn't watch a bunch of movies mm-hmm. i love mise-en-scene i love dropping that when i do reviews because <laughs> then you, you get that you you inevitably get that person that responds and they're like what? <laughs> I stand by it. I was like, oh shit, he knows about mise-en-scene. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, college ruined movies for me because I studied them so much. So it became less about just going to the movies and shutting off my brain and more about, you know, analyzing the way that the scene is set up and how that helps to tell the story. You know, like in battle movies, you'll see good guys approaching from one side and bad guys approaching from the other side pretty much all the time oh wow it's always just that way 
whenever it's set up and it, it, yeah it, it's 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 just i love it god i love it i love movies <laughs> i mean that's that's the main thing right yeah yes i uh, mean the opinion from the other side is that you don't you just want to talk about how they're not good enough or how how bad they are or technically good they are but like it's just it's just another way of loving movies yeah, I mean, you, they're, they're definitely just people that they'll go to the movies and they'll walk out and they'll be like, yeah, I liked it. And that's that's all you'll ever get out of them. That mm-hmm. literally it. But me, I'll like, I'll watch a movie. It's hard for me with the show now because I like to kind of hold my thoughts closer to my chest until I've gotten a chance to like give my whole review of it on our show. But mm-hmm. like once I do that, like I network with so many other movie podcasters and I talk to just literally tons of different people. What did you think of this? What did you think of this? Did you pick up on this? Did you like this? Did you hate this? You know, and then when people, like, obviously film's one of those things that, for me anyway, and people would disagree completely, but I think all film is subjective. I There are people that try to objectively analyze it, and I don't think that's possible because I think your experiences and who you are and what you bring to it always factors into it, at least to the smallest degree. Mm-hmm. But... You know, I I love having those discussions with people because I'm the kind of person I have unpopular opinions about a lot of <laughs> stuff. Like, if you love a movie, I probably hate it, or if you hate a movie, I probably love it. I'm really just weird like that. I just have these kind of really weird tastes, and so I'll just not get into arguments with people because I'm past that. Opinions are opinions. Like, I love it, you hate it, whatever. But then I'll just like to kind of bicker with people and tell them, no, that movie's garbage. You're dumb, or no, that movie, that movie's great. You're an idiot. Like, we just, like, I do it with, like, Paul from the Count Town and, like, other people all the time where we just pick at each other back and forth over this movie that you liked that I didn't and vice versa. I love that, though. I, I think it, it adds just a whole other level of it to me. It, a, a level of it to it or whatever. I don't even know. <laughs> I'll end that section by saying I legitimately enjoyed Ghost in the Shell. I still haven't seen it. I... I liked that movie until the end because uh, I thought it was hilarious and, and I didn't care like the whole time they did the whitewashing thing like everybody was complaining because they cast Scar Joe to play the major and the major's not supposed to be Caucasian and I was like yeah but the but the major's a cyborg so I don't care mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. they got to the end of the movie and they literally made um, the major like she was literally an Asian girl that they then just put into a white body <laughs> Like, when they made it literal in the movie, I just started laughing, and I, <laughs> I haven't really stopped laughing since. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe they went... So, not only did it... Fine, you cast her in the role, whatever, but then you literally made that a plot point of the movie, and I was like, I just laughed. I cannot help but laugh at it. Oh, my God. I thought it was visually very good, though. I did think it was a very pretty film to look at. All right, here's a question. That I've actually wanted to talk about on the podcast for a little while now. Ooh. And this is a perfect time to do it. Because uh, it applies very heavily to film. Can, let's say, movies be great or, or worthwhile or, like, important and be entirely escapist? Or does there have to be an element of reality to it? Well, that's a good question. Wow. I would... Well, hmm. And anyone. Anyone. Can anything really be truly escapist? Because, I mean, there are pe- there yes. are people... But Fast they're... and Furious. <laughs> sure. Okay. Sure. Uh, my counterpoint would be that there are people who, who look at things like fantasy novels, not necessarily Tolkien, because you know his war experience and experience with religion and whatnot fed into that. 
but uh, other fantasy novels, fantasy in general, is like this space where people can project or discuss things about the real world with distance. And to me, like even a super escapist movie, perhaps The Fast and the Furious, could serve a similar purpose to certain people. Where it's like this safe space where you can just, well, not, well, safe space in the sense that you can discuss real world things with like the characters as metaphors or allegories and the places as metaphors and allegories and all, all sorts of stuff like that and sort of work things out at one remove from reality. And some people dislike it when their film isn't escapist in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know, they can take the thematic bent of, you know, this is obviously, you know, very, very much based on whatever's going on in the world at X time. Tolkien's a great example of it you know, with his experiences in the war and things like that, that definitely translated over into his writing. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that they can't handle. Like if you were to make it just a world war one movie that hits on the same exact things that Tolkien hits on in Lord of the Rings, it might be a little too raw for some people. It might be a little bit too real. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's not a problem. Like I, I just, I love all of it and I love, I just, I just, I love just absorbing whatever's up there on the screen. But yeah, there's a lot of people that can't do that. There's a lot of people that they have to have that barrier of separation where you have to kind of, you have to, I don't know. Well, sugarcoat, it's probably the wrong terminology, but I, I would almost just say you have to kind of sugarcoat it. You have to dress it up a little bit for people to get them to swallow it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I've seen a few of like, you know, top ranked critics pick all time, best movies however you want to put it and a lot of them are like studies of humanity mm-hmm. and some of them are really you're like like italian you know realism yeah i want to say bicycle thieves and so on oh yeah italian. um it's it's all about being as real as possible and reflect like now i'm 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 way out in the deep end here so please correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> but the around the 60s it was like a turning point where like talking about films could comment on things that were going on present day and how people are and stuff like that like the one i'm thinking of is my friend show me knights of kiberia i have no idea what that is mm-hmm. <laughs> An italian film some cinephile i am interesting yeah, right? interesting <laughs> i would have cited like a godzilla movie from around that time because 60s 70s godzilla is all about the environment even the 50s stuff is like about the atom bomb and the fallout oh, yeah. from that yeah mm-hmm. and like genre films do not often get bumped up to the top of the class no. I think if you take a film like, um, well, a, a great example of it, I think, would be something like Schindler's List, mm-hmm. where it doesn't bury any of it beneath metaphor. It doesn't, you know, try to, you know, dress it up in like, like you know, Harry Potter's all about fascism and things like that. But obviously it's, you know, wizards and magic and stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, I think when you watch a movie like Schindler's List, I think... I think some things, and it would probably depend on the event, but I think that some things you just, you need to feel it raw. You need to feel it for exactly what it is and was, you know, because I don't think it would resonate otherwise. And I mean, that's one of the, that's, I mean, this is one of the greatest movies ever made, but it, like I watched it recently because my friend Dan from Netflix and Swell, he had watched it and he had never seen it before. And it was on Netflix, and I just I just decided to pop it on while he was watching it because I hadn't seen it in a while. But it's it's a hard movie to get through. 
it's insanely like I turned it off at a couple points and and went back to it. I mean, I've seen it before, but it's it's just hard to watch because it's so real. And because when you watch it, like it doesn't have that barrier there of separation where, oh, it's an orc killing uh, an elf like, mm-hmm. oh, that's, you know, ha ha ha. You know, that's cool. Like it's real people, you know, killing other real people. And it doesn't have that separation there. But I think if you need to drive that emotional point home and some people call Spielberg manipulative in that way, but I think films like Schindler's List or even Saving Private Ryan. I think you have to feel that for those. I really, really think you have to feel that. I mean, I was I was still milling over the original question, but when I thought of escapism, I thought of across all media, is there something that is purely escapist? But then I thought of virtual reality, which is more of an emergent thing than a... We can't really talk about great virtual reality films because they don't <laughs> exist yet. <laughs> Not at this time. No. Well, Tron. Uh, yeah, fine, Yeah. Boy. Uh, yet. Are you familiar with They Shoot Pictures, Don't They? No. Okay. Not a bit. They have a list of the 1,000 top films. Wow. Aggregated from almost 9,000 critics' lists. Ooh. And number three is 2001 A Space Odyssey. Talk about escapism. <laughs> I know, right? Wait, what are number two and number one? Do you want to guess? Uh... One with the Blue Man Group. Godfather and Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane is number one. Oh. <laughs> uh, Godfather's number seven. Uh, yeah, I don't know what number two would be. Hmm. Avatar. No, there's no yeah. <laughs> Casablanca. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, no, I thought this was America. No, hmm? no it's definitely not. <laughs> it's Lavo Zizek's favorite movie of all time, Kung Fu Panda. Uh, <laughs> das Boot. <laughs> Nope. I really have no idea. Okay. Uh, it's Vertigo. Oh. oh. Okay. Uh, Nick, how often do you rewatch movies? Ooh, that's a good question. Hmm. Not often enough. Is that a good answer? <laughs> there are certain films that I have that I have watched like a hundred times. Probably. Oh, wow. Uh, others, like, I mean, but I really, really have to love a film. And really, really, really want to invest myself in it to rewatch it over and over. I just don't have the time that I used to to do that sort of thing because I'm so busy watching so many new movies for the show and doing all the other things I'm involved in. So, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's infinite numbers of times when I popped in uh, just uh, one of my classics that I love. There's certain movies that I can just watch endlessly. All right, I got a quick one-two punch that I think it would be remiss not to ask, and that would be, what do you think? is the best movie of all time, Epic Film Guy, Nick. And also, what is your biggest guilty pleasure? I hate the term guilty pleasure, but people understand what it means. So I'm going to go with that. True. I think the best movie of all time is probably Citizen Kane. Hmm. Because it it was a movie that I was introduced to in college, in film classes, and from the first time I watched it, I've just been in love with it. Like what Wells is able to do in that film, like the techniques he's able to take, he's a first time director in film. Many of the people that are starring in the film are first time actors on state or on screen. Excuse me. A lot of them came from his theater company. It's just the techniques that he was able to use and master and innovate. And like a lot of the stuff that he was able to do in terms of cinematic innovation is still stuff that's used today, like stuff that had never been done before. It's just, 
Not only that, I think it's got an absolutely razor sharp script, and I think it's 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 brilliant. It, I mean, it's literally brilliant. I I cannot say that enough. And I mean, it's it's not that it's without its flaws. Every film has flaws, but yeah, for my money, for my money, it's it's definitely Kane and it, guilty pleasure. Ah, oh, name your pick, God. <laughs> like I can watch. Like I'll throw on Batman and Robin, (laughs) which is just a dumpster fire of a movie. But I mean, it's been 20 years since it came out and I'm of the mind that like, there's still a lot of people that are like really angry about it. And like, they really get mad if you even say that you watch it ironically, (laughs) but I like, if you can't put that movie in and like every time Arnold Schwarzenegger fires off an ice pun, which is about every three and a half seconds in the movie, you I I feel I feel sorry for you <laughs> because it's just it's just hilarious it's so over the top and ridiculous and I just it's there's other guilty pleasures I have but I mean if I had to pick just one that's probably the guilty pleasure <laughs> like it's it's so dumb but it's just it's hilariously bad I remember seeing that in theaters same I know so did I and I I remember when I walked out of the theater I was like what the <laughs> Was Batman and Robin the one with bat nipples? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think Forever had them too, but I think they were just at the end of Forever. Batman Forever, I like loved. I was the right age. <laughs> I was just like, this is amazing. <laughs> that one holds a special place in my heart because I watched that. Like, there's there's certain movies that like they represent a place in time for me. And like, I watched them with like a best friend that I had at the time who passed away. Mm-hmm. So like, like there's just certain films like that. Like, I mean, forever's if you, if you watch it like side by side with Batman and Robin, it's just as big a piece of garbage. as that is. But I still, it's, it's just a nostalgia pick for me. I just, I absolutely love it. I think it's just, it, it, it like it, it takes you back there. It takes you back there. In your mind when you rewatch movies. That's why I do like rewatching movies from time to time because it kind of takes you back to that place. That's why you, you'll have people in. Uh, I haven't seen the most amount of movies in the world, and that's no secret to anyone. But you know, a lot of what my co-host and what other people try to get me to do is they try to get me to go back and they try to get me to watch like classics and stuff like that, like from the eighties or seventy, whatever. And I'll watch them, and I just won't have that same investment in them because. I'm seeing them for the first time as an adult where they watched them as kids and they're like in love with them, you know, but at the same time, like I know I'm guilty of that kind of thing too, where I'll watch a movie that I watched as a kid, like, like, well, like Batman and Batman forever or whatever is a perfect example. Cause I think when forever came out, I was like, ah, what, like 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I was just, yeah, a teenager who just didn't care. But I loved it. I just <laughs> absolutely loved it. But, loved it in all of its badness, you know? <laughs> a couple of quick stories. First, I have a friend who won't watch Back to the Future. What? Yeah. He's like, eh, it's like, you know, it's ultimately like a kid's movie or something. I'm, I'm, I can probably watch better movies for my entire life instead of Back to the Future. It's almost spite now. It's me and Firefly. <laughs> like he's, I had so many people recommend it to him. He's like, no, <laughs> I won't. Yeah, that that can ruin a movie. It can. Yeah. Too much expectation. Yeah. Um, and for me, that movie that uh, you were talking about, people recommending them to you, recommending fond movies to you that you're like, I don't, 
I don't get it. For me, that was Rocky Horror. I think I watched yeah. that too late in my life. Yep. I, uh, I don't get it. It's weird, too, because you're, you're on the outside of that culture looking in, and you're like, <laughs> You know it's what? a thing. You know yeah. it has a big fandom and a big cult around it. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. All right, let's move on to internet. In or out is our segment where we try to determine if you're going to do more of the thing or less of the thing. In this case, watching more movies, or I guess more specifically being more of a cinephile uh, or less of one. I'm going to start with Z because I usually pick Z at random. So Z. Usually yes. pick Z at random. Yeah, it's yeah. 100% random. Selected by a random die roll. Exactly. <laughs> there just happens to be one face on that die. Don't ask how. It's a loaded die. I didn't say that it was a fair die. Did I? Just no, you just didn't. answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it is a difficult question to answer. Um, I'm not going to stop seeing movies, obviously, and I don't. I don't have any sort of special training, or um, I have never really read a book on film criticism or film analysis before. Um, but I, I do enjoy, you know, going to a movie or just even watching a movie at home. And, you know, kind of going a little bit a little bit beyond the surface of it, a little bit beyond, you know, the scenes and the characters interacting, the dialogue and all that stuff, and, uh, and searching out that extra meaning. But, you know, as is often the case with these different fandoms that we cover, part of being a part of them is engaging with the uh, community in some way. And, like, through my research and, and also, you know, through, through our discussion with Epic Film Guy Nick... I'm still not really sure how that works exactly, like how the community of cinephiles is structured. It seems on the one hand very intimate because you're talking about like ideas and it's like we said at the top of the show, it's a lot like literature, you know, you're discussing this uh, this thing that you've both seen, you've both experienced or, you know, however many people are discussing the movie. It could be a big group, could be two people, who knows? But like it, it seems like uh, it's something that's sort of intimate but at the same time disembodied because so much of it is online rather than in person yeah i would say it's tough to pin down like if you take a, an, a like a legit fandom like uh i don't know like harry potter yeah. or whatever like that's a focused kind of fandom where like when you get together with somebody else who is a quote harry potter fan generally that means the same thing to everybody like you're really into the books and or the movies yeah. You know, and, and you kind of, you know what you're going to talk about. But it's cinephile, I think cinephile is one of those words, and that's why it's kind of probably hard to really define it as a fandom in some ways, because I think it means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. And I think we've touched on a lot of that in the discussions that we've had. Just you have those people that go to the movies all the time, but they might consider themselves a cinephile, but they just don't analyze film or whatever and maybe there's probably people out there that are like no cinephiles aren't people that analyze films those are film critics or film whatever snobs yeah, well definitely snobs yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you have that kind of differing range of i think the way that people would define it so it's it's tough to say I, yeah it's it's tough to say i didn't mean to cut you off there but yeah just yeah, i think that's no, interesting. no worries no worries yeah i think that's interesting yeah yeah, the community aspect of uh, this fandom was what one that I sort of struggled to really pin down because it just it just seems weirdly nebulous. But uh, nonetheless, you know, I do intend to keep watching movies, and 
never really had much of a chance to do it in the past. But uh, if I did have the chance to go, you know, to a free screening or to a film festival, I would totally do it. Plan a trip to TIFF. Oh, whoa, whoa. That's one of these years. One of these years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to get in at this point. Yeah. It's it's really, really packed in there now. Uh, anyway, short answer after a long answer. I'm in. T, would you like me to go next or have you uh, composed yourself? I don't I don't have any deep insight. You can go now. <laughs> okay. Well, in the past few years, I've I've made a point of of telling people that I've noticed cinematography, so that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a step on the ladder. But I took a film course in university. It was elective. I took a European film course. Uh, I didn't, you know, have the punishing amount of film theory that uh, film guy Nick did. And I don't honestly remember much of the theory discussion. I remember there being a lot of discussion of politics, hmm. but I most remember the movies that I saw, like Rules of the Game, which is a, a supposed to be a classic. It's actually number four on the list. Ooh. But um, yeah, I, as I said before, I am not good at making myself go see movies that are uh, challenging to me, movies that I don't want to see or movies that I think don't suit my mood, which is not a very uh, cinephile-like thing to do. But like, I'm interested in so many movies. Like I said, I had a friend who was a who, who you just went down this list and just watched them because he's like, I'm going to learn more about movies. Wow. I don't know much about movies. I'm just going to watch all these movies. And I don't know if he studied much film, but he just like, <laughs> sort, and just just watching just watching all these movies will give you like quite a bit of perspective. And we always try to see what's on down at the the art house cinema, and I will always see any Wes Anderson movie. But ultimately, I don't know if I have time. I'd love to research more film. There's, you know, a handful of cast movies on Netflix. And, and you know, cinephilia is not, is not necessarily about watching a bunch of old movies. It seems to me, based on the R cinephiles, that it's about everybody taking journeys in parallel because the thread that keeps popping up is where do I start? And it's like, oh, check out this list, check out this list. Try looking at these directors. Uh, try looking at this part of the film. So, I mean, I don't necessarily need to watch more movies. Cinephile would probably help a lot, but um, I still haven't decided whether I'm in or out, actually. I've just, oh my I've just been talking. Uh, um, <laughs> but I don't want to be ambiguous. <laughs> it's definitely a big time commitment, uh, just by the nature of it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I watch more TV than I do movies. Because you see, TV is really the future of, uh, <laughs> of film. <laughs> I mean, it's novels versus short stories, right? They're both good. Yeah. Well, salmon. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm just gonna cut to epic film guy Nick. Are you in or out? It may surprise you to learn that no guest at this point so far has been out. Well, I'm I'm completely out. This is the last time I'm ever gonna talk about movies. We're changing the name of the show to the Epic Guys. We're just gonna talk about uh, <laughs> Justin living in a dumpster behind the Ned Divine's bar. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, of course I'm in. Of course I'm in. I, I absolutely live and breathe film. I love it. I, I don't think that there's a requisite number of films that you have to see to be a cinephile. I just, for me, as I've mentioned, I think that being a cinephile is more about the way that you watch the movies that you watch, regardless of how many of them you see, because quantity doesn't necessarily equal quality. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where. 
it, are you a lover of film and are you somebody that watches films passionately even if you only get to see like a handful of films a year like i'm limited by my market mm-hmm. you know but i still very very much love watching every single film that i watch even if i walk out of them thinking they're gigantic dumpster fires <laughs> i love that you see the amount you do and, and you still wish you could watch more <laughs> oh god yes i, I, <laughs> I, admi- I admire you for that i wish Ugh. But then I'd probably I would get to the point where I would just watch too many movies to be able to talk about them all on the show, and that would be like, oh god, now what do I do? Another podcast? Oh, you could, you could, <laughs> you could talk about a movie with someone else not recording it. True. I mean, but, I, I don't know if eh. that's something that you want to get into. Eh. <laughs> but why? <laughs> and it's just wasted air. <laughs> Justin was my connection. He he was that for me when he lived here because he and I went to the movies all the time and then we would sit and we would talk about them afterward, have a couple beers, and do whatever. But and then when he moved, that was the whole reason that the podcast even came about is because we both just missed that connection over film. We both wanted that connection back so badly that we were just like, Yeah, let's do it. You know? And that's just what ended up being. But yeah. I'm definitely in. One hundred percent. That's that's good to hear. I'm sure everyone's relieved to hear that. <laughs> All right, T. Oh, that's easy. I'm out. <laughs> I'll be the lone dissenter, that's fine. <laughs> I'm out because when I'm watching a movie, I'm in it for the experience. I I wouldn't say that I don't care about the mise en scene or the cinematography or any of that, but fundamentally what I'm watching a movie for is a unique experience or a different perspective or something like that. Uh, I'll watch Interstellar because it seems like an interesting concept and the storytelling is interesting and it it makes me feel things. I will watch all sorts of goofy animated stuff because they're fun and I want to do that. I will not watch Fast and the Furious because I don't give a crap. (laughs) (laughs) But like fundamentally, to me, it's more about feeling things or, or the novelty of it and less about the cinematography or things like that. There's a reason I still haven't seen Citizen Kane and it's because I feel like that's some pretentious thing that cinephiles do. <laughs> and I'm not wrong. Not wrong yet. Um, yeah, I, I can't even deny that one. <laughs> but um, I, I think, like, same as most other answers, just, like, there's a lot of movies. And I'm, I know that I'm only going to pick the movies that I want to see. Mm-hmm. Even if those movies turn out to be bad, looking at you, Prometheus. that that is a movie where if i take any individual scene i'm like oh this is beautiful and then i take a whole movie and it's like this is like you said a a dumpster fire it is just the prettiest looking turd there ever was (laughs) Uh, yep ridley scott polished that thing up so nice Uh, and then he did it again with covenant (laughs) well all right so i don't have to see that either perfect oh i hated i hated covenant like i Prometheus, I was middling on. Like, I gave it my highest negative rating. But, okay. yeah, Covenant was garbage. I hated Covenant so much. All right, I'm going to pose you this, Nick. If someone listening wanted to start the path down becoming cinephile, what would you suggest that they do? Don't turn your brain off. Simple as that. Turn your brain on. Watch actively. Watch, and don't just, like, let the movie kind of happen in front of you just kind of invest yourself in it emotionally and invest yourself in it analytically like kind of put i guess don't turn your brain off because that's that's the phrase that always gets kind of thrown out there when you're talking about 
people that are like, oh, I, I just, it's just supposed to be a dumb, fun movie. Just turn your brain off. You don't turn your brain off. Turn it on. That's why movies like the Transformers movies are a perfect example of this. They keep making a billion dollars because somebody's going to see them. Somebody loves them. But then when they come out, like I, like when I saw the last one, um, it's three hours long and it's what? the most dreadfully boring movie ever. Like you go back in time and tell like nine-year-old me. There's going to be a movie one day about big robots beating the crap out of each other, and it's three hours long, and it's the biggest pile of garbage on the planet. I think and we did. he would probably just, I don't even know what he would do, run away crying. We almost did an episode on this. <laughs> I mean, it had more of a positive spin than it was about the whole franchise, but... Transformers not getting a lot of love yeah. on this podcast. Positive spin, Transformers... Mm, no nope i don't see it oh man all right that seems like good advice to give to somebody trying to get a good start mm-hmm. shall we shine the spotlight let's shine the spotlight normally for the spotlight we try to shine a light on you know a good cause or a charity or something like that i learned that many um fans of movies many cinephiles are also filmmakers and filmmakers you know, have a hard time coming into funding to make movies. So a lot of the charities I came across were filmmaking organizations. That being said, I found at least two good causes to uh, highlight. Uh, The first one is M. Night School, Hmm. uh, which is somebody trying to raise money to send M. Night Shyamalan to film school. (laughs) I will donate $1,000 to that Well, you would be more than doubling the amount of money they've raised. So... I put this in because it, it was just funny. It was one of the only things I could find. Uh, if you go to mnightschool.org, uh, it says on the main page, certainly there must be 150,000 of us film lumbers out there who are tired of his schlocky plot twists, canned dialogue, and over-commercialized image as an auteur. Originally, the campaign ran, and they were trying to raise the the money, which was $150,000, by the point that 1,000 AE came out. I think 1,000 AE became After Earth, which is now long uh. since out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they raised 700 US dollars. But that was not a great cause, but it, it was funny. So I threw that in there. I disagree. I think that's a fantastic cause. <laughs> um, the, the neat thing about the charity was even if they couldn't actually, they were going to film him with a big novelty check <laughs> if they succeeded. What's but the twist? The, the twist was if that didn't actually work out because they couldn't um, convince him, or I think if they couldn't raise the amount, they were going to donate it to an actual charity. Oh, what a twist. Uh, boo. <laughs> I'm reminded of The Wrong Coast. Somebody, <laughs> did anybody ever watch that show? I was no. aware that it was on. No. Okay. All right. Yeah, they might be giants to the theme song. They did. Um, the other thing I was going to sign the spotlight on was an organization called Frameline. Frameline is an international LGBTQ film festival that also hosts events, screens, films, and creates uh, LGBTQ youth programming year-round. In particular, I was going to highlight the Frameline Completion Fund, which provides grants to emerging and established filmmakers. The program seeks to provide a much-needed source of financial contribution to artists who often struggle to secure funding to complete their works. They provide grants of up to $5,000 for the completion of films that represent and reflect LGBTQ life in all its complexity and richness. And so far, they've provided more than 140 grants. Nice. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And you can find that Mm -hmm. at frameline.org. There's a bunch of other URL stuff. But if you go there, you'll be able to find what you're looking for. I thought that was probably the most appropriate, like a double whammy of of highlighting like a minority issue and 
and like filmmaking and charity and getting that all together. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. The last thing I was going to mention, because it can't go without mentioning, because we're talking about great things like great movies and also great games. <laughs> and I was going to bring up The Race Against Time, which you can find at raceagainsttime.io or go to twitch.tv slash time. Now in its third year of running, The Race Against Time is our annual charity live stream where we work our way through Chrono Trigger, obtaining all its different endings, and raising money for the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. Last year we raised over $1,000 Canadian, and we have plans to surpass that. We'll be starting the race on August 12th, and we'll be playing for 24 hours straight. And yeah, if you want to be aware of that, go to twitch.tv slash time, and you can follow us. When we start, you'll get a notification, or there'll be updates posted to raceagainsttime.io. I can't wait. I'm pumped. I want to play again. I want to play along with you guys again. Nick was there last year. He did the race against the race against time. Yes. Yeah. We are trying to sort out uh, some guests for that. So if there was interest, <laughs> you know, just give us a, just give us a <laughs> heads up. I hate Chrono Trigger. I would never be on a show about it. <laughs> That's okay. We hate movies. See? Especially epic film guy movies. Right? Yeah. yeah they're awful. <laughs> it's known. <laughs> oh my god yeah i love that game even if i don't because i i think it, whatever happened last year uh, we couldn't get the audio working or something i can't remember but i was just happy to play along and and you know uh dedicate time to a good cause it is a great cause and yeah it's great three years that's awesome guys that's really yeah. awesome three years yeah, running. thanks we can say annual yeah <laughs> Somebody asked me today, It's a, if you do something once, is it a tradition? <laughs> it's like, if you're an adult, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> You've just crossed the 100 episode line, and now you're on to Brave New Horizons. So what's going yeah. on with the epic We're on to something. I don't even know. <laughs> My goal now, now that we've hit 100, and now that I really think we've we've got our format, we've got so many things in place. So now my next goal is to try to trying to innovate in terms of podcasting content because for movie podcasts there are something in the neighborhood of like a billion of them i was gonna say there's a couple yeah and and more of them spring up like like hundreds of thousands every day Mm -hmm. so it's it's such a crowded market so we're going to be changing up the way we do reviews we're going to be changing up just a lot of the different aspects of the show and trying to get people more involved than they already are and we already have a very active fan base which is amazing but we're going to be trying to work even harder to get people more involved and uh, in terms of epic film guys just search for us and you'll find us any podcatcher any social media just google us we're like the first four pages worth of google results (laughs) for all the different places you can find us it's just epic film guys literally everywhere please do listen to their show yeah 100 in i can't even believe it did you edit everyone Yes. Yep. Your editing muscles must be finely tuned. <laughs> it's. It was funny when I was going back through the 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 first clips for like the first I would say fifteen episodes or so in episode one hundred because the audio quality was dreadful. And then I like <laughs> even once I started doing more editing and more post work, like my editing style was noticeably different. Then like there's a lot of hard cuts that I don't do anymore. Like I'm very, very, I'm able to get it really seamless now. So you really can't feel and hear cuts in the audio. But back then, like it would just be like abrupt, like all the time. I was like, Oh God, like I listened to it. I'm like, God, (laughs) whoever edited this sucks. (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, it's it's been it's been a great ride, and I, I I love doing it just as much now as I ever have. And I think our podcast really becomes what it is in editing, and maybe that's just me being selfish because I am the editor and I am the one that works on that aspect of it. So whatever, but I absolutely love it. I love it as much now as I did then. So yeah, this I I, I love it. I just love it. I mean, <laughs> you're such a passionate person. I really admire that. But I think, you know, editing is the difference between good podcast and great podcast. I would agree. Yeah. Was that like a, a humble brag for Z? <laughs> yes, it was. If it was Z saying it, yes. <laughs> it's a it's a vicarious. I, I made no judgment calls to whether a podcast was great. Right? <laughs> 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 uh, if you didn't like our, our podcast... You could send hate mail to nick at the nextcast.com. But to be honest, if you hated our podcast, why did you listen this long? I mean, epic film guy Nick probably, but yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a hate listen at this point. <laughs> it's why I went to see all the Resident Evil movies in the theater, even though I knew this, you know, it's more to just see how bad it can get, just how much worse is it going to get. And every week, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. You guys are so awesome. I loved being on for the craft beer, and I loved being on for this. This is a, this is just a blast. I love talking to you guys. And plus, we're all Nicks, and we Nicks have to stick together because we do have the best mm-hmm. name of all time. It's really a brotherhood. <laughs> it really a is. brotherhood of Nicks, mm-hmm. a cabal, if you will. <laughs> if you are hate listening to this, uh, if you think it's good or even great, if you're listening on iTunes, regardless of your opinion, please leave a rating and review. Helps more people. Uh, find out what we're doing over here and uh, get gets more i always want to say ear balls which is disgusting <laughs> yeah ears on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> um youtube twitter instagram and facebook you can find us at the next cast and you can also find us at patreon.com slash the next cast which would be a good place to check out if you wanted to become a patron of the next cast why would you want to do that well maybe you like keeping the podcast ad free you like supporting the next cast and all the cool stuff we do like the convention coverage uh the podcast that we do uh, the let's plays that we do any of the the content that we produce helping us to produce more of that and to keep it as high quality as you know that it is maybe even better quality who knows even as little as a dollar a month is extremely helpful for us so check that out patreon.com slash the next cast and you can also follow us on twitter well at the next cast but you can also find what we're uh, getting up to on Twitter using the hashtag Fanthro. Hashtag Fanthro. If you want to talk to us, be sure to include that hashtag Fanthro. That's F-A-N-T-H-R-O. And now it is time for definitely one of my top five favorite segments on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the famous last words. That really narrows it down. last <laughs> words. <laughs> That's a great podcast. I'll say <laughs> it. I have the courage to say it. It's a great podcast. Those are your famous last words? Those are my famous last words. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so, famous last words. We're talking, making a statement or question about next week's fandom. Usually it helps us to inform the research, or it's just something interesting to look into. Uh, next week, we will be talking about the fandom surrounding James Bond. The movies, the books. I mean, that's that's most of it. Maybe the video games. <laughs> I'm very mm, fond of Goldeneye. Goldeneye, at least. Yeah, there you oh, go. Man. Um, but we're we're going to be talking everything about James Bond fandom. G. Yes. What are your famous last words? <sighs> okay. 
Even though I've read one of the books, I don't remember at all. <laughs> I want to know if there are people who like are only interested in the books and and will watch the movies, and if so, why? Hmm. Like, what's the Tom Bombadil of James Bond fans? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, what's the what's the? Oh, they left this out. There's no way, or they changed this. I'm I'm really curious, like how how faithful the movies are to the books. I'm going to skip ahead to every film guy, Nick, but also because I'm curious as a cinephile, what are your famous last words on James Bond fandom? Hmm. Oh, you know what? I had a good one, but then I lost it. Uh, we can come back to it. I can just punt oh. it over to Z. Yeah. Z, do it. Yeah, do it, Z. Do All it. Right. All right. Okay. The last few uh, episodes, I've been asking some very involved, complex questions. Yes. Uh, you know, pulling an opera and... Uh, Simpsons references and all sorts of crazy <laughs> it's stuff. A rich tapestry. Yes, we all appreciate your this this week. It's not it's not a tapestry. It's just a single thread. The iconic scene of uh, James Bond being strapped down to a table as a laser threatens to cut him in half. Is that lifted from the books, or is that a movie original scene? Once again, a question that can be answered with a yes or no answer. Yes. All right. I'm going to give Epic Film Guy Nick a little bit more time because I thought of something in the meantime. Ooh, and it is not a stupid, why is this a fandom? Because I'm going to go away from that this time. Ooh. And uh, my question is, how important is is like a universal love of the movies? Can you be a James Bond fan and only like a particular James Bond or a particular movie? George Lazenby or nothing for me. Ooh. <laughs> All right, my famous last words would just be, why is Hank Scorpio the greatest Bond villain <laughs> spoof of all time? <laughs> Discuss. I want to do that right now, awesome. but... He's every best part of every Bond villain. <laughs> Distilled into Albert Brooks. <laughs> so good. What's your least favorite country, Italy or France? <laughs> France. Nobody ever says Italy. <laughs> Man, we got to do The Simpsons soon. Oh, boy, yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Thank you very much for taking the time to be on the show, Nick. It has been an absolute blast, as always, guys. I freaking love you guys. You guys are awesome, so thank you very, very much for inviting me back on the show. It's always a blast, and yeah, I really, really do look forward to the race against time. I will once again be taking part in the race against the race against time. Yes. Hopefully this year I won't have to leave and then come back like four different times during it. <laughs> And I yeah. can try to, you know, hang in let there us, with you guys the whole day. Let us know, you know, what your schedule's looking like coming up to. And uh, we should have no problem having you on on this time. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. We're going to prepare this time. <laughs> I'm going to play Chrono Cross while you guys play oh, Chrono, Chrono Trigger. Cross. <laughs> Race Against Time Part 2. <laughs> Race Against Parallel Dimensions, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that would be really appropriate. Ooh. <laughs> it really would be. <laughs> Whoa. The other dimension where they're playing Cordo Cross. Oh my god. Oh. oh boy. Thank you everyone for listening. Yes. Yep. Thanks everybody for listening. Check out the Epic Film Guys podcast. Please. Goodbye.
working on it. Always working on it. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm working on this chocolate bar of dark chocolate with orange pieces. I just noticed has been on my desk. Still good. <laughs> if one of these Nicks should go silent, we'll, we'll know what, what was going on. <laughs> Diabetic coma. I don't think it's going to be silent whatsoever, actually. <laughs> no, it'll be wrapper crinkling. And oh, no. If I get sick, it's not going to be quiet. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Directly into the mic. <laughs> Directly into the mic? Like... As long as you've got like a bucket behind it. If I died during a podcast, I at least want it to be, to be documented well. <laughs> I can just imagine that. He's going to be like, guys, I'm really sorry. The call quality is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Like there's some retching. It's it's just static. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, I mean, like, it's just like I was really hoping to get more of the vomiting and everything else. But <laughs> it just didn't come across. You could throw a little reverb on it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta you gotta throw like like the stereo echoes on that, so you get like every <laughs> a quarter of a second. It's like ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> vomiting in a cathedral experience. <laughs> that is the, the gold standard of this podcast. <laughs>